get nervous after 25 years. Uh, I actually read that Celine Dion, uh, who's performed over 5,000 shows, still gets nervous. Uh, so even the best get nervous. And like you said, if, if you're not getting nervous, it doesn't mean enough to you. And that's something I give my players as well. And, and no matter who I work with, if you're not nervous, then worry about it. I always knew in my career, uh, I was a professional triathlete and triathlete, that I, would, I knew the day I, I, I was done, when I was no longer stepping up to a start line feeling nervous, then I knew I was done. You know, because they asked you, how do you know it's the end of your career? How do you know when you stop? And especially when you're doing a sport that doesn't pay back financially much, uh, it's got to be your passion. And speaking about motivation, uh, yes, motivation is fleeing. I agree. But there's got to be that commitment. But most of all, there's got to be purpose. And anybody who listened to... Uh, uh, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg's Harvard commencement speech two weeks ago, he spoke about purpose. It's one thing to have a passion, but passion is not enough. You might love tennis. You might love coaching. But you do have to motivate yourself. I, I still have to motivate myself. Somebody asked me, who motivates you? And I said, I have, to look, I have to look from other areas. I may inspire others, but I feel inspired by, by other people. I need to be. But the deeper purpose as to why you do things will help with motivation. And if you don't know what your purpose is, I suggest you look deep and hard in that. I was working with a, a Belgium track and field athlete just before Rio. And she was struggling with motivation. And I said to her, what's your purpose? Because she's already been to two Olympics. And she said, well, and she went on to the goals, to win a medal, to have a great. And I said, no, that's, that's a goal. What is your purpose? And she went away and thought about it, and she came back, and she said, my purpose is to help others with depression, because I've dealt with depression myself. And I said, there's a purpose. And she said, when I finish my career, I'm going to do motivational speaking on athletes or high performers or anybody who deals with depression. And I said, now you've found a deeper purpose. Now you're excited about what's going on. Now you have a reason to get up every morning and go out and share, share your message. So purpose is, is the most important thing when it comes to motivation. I know I just uh, wanted to add that in before we get started. Anyway, um, Seven Keys to Being a Great Coach is a book I brought, I brought out last year. Um, it's 25 years of experience that I've had, or actually even more as an athlete as well. I was a professional athlete. Talking about nerves, one more story. I love stories, by the way. Probably by the time we get to this, my time's up. Um, nerves. 2002 World Championships in Atlanta. Uh, I'm racing my last World Championships, and it's my fifth, and uh, I am as nervous as anything. I've already done five. I've raced European Championships, raced nine years already. I missed the start because I'd been to the toilet four times in the space of ten minutes, and I was still in the toilet uh, when the gun went off. Now, there's, there's a little bit of nerves for you right there. So I had the start of my race straight from the toilet seat to uh, out the door and back on, onto the road. So nerves are still, still prevalent. In fact, being in the locker rooms of Grand Slams, uh, watching the players just before they, they go out to play, Rafa is nervous. David Ferrer changes his headband three or four times. Uh, Novak, eyes are like wide open. The guys are nervous. And this is something you need to comfort your players with as well, especially the kids, is that even the best get nervous. So they just, they mask it well. When they walk on court, they look confident, that out of confidence, but they're nervous. And just like you, you shared about Vavrenka as well. All right, so seven keys to being a great coach. Um, 
why seven keys? Because there could be 50 keys to being a great coach. There could be whatever, but uh, I thought seven was a nice number. So keep it simple. First one, standards. And what I loved when I saw the, uh, the pamphlet for, for the, the conference, the first word on there was standards. And let me tell you, it all starts with your standards. That's where it starts. And there's three particular standards you need to take care of as a coach. The first standard are the standards you have for yourself. Your values, your principles, what you stand for, what you believe in. Because the greatest example is going to be yourself. To your students, to your athletes, to your clients, to your family, whoever it may be. How do you live your life? What are your principles? Because that's where it starts. Example, are your standards... Uh, portraying things on Facebook where maybe photos are inappropriate and then you're trying to encourage others to live a better lifestyle, your students, for example. Those are double standards, for example. What about your standards of taking care of yourself, of promoting a healthier lifestyle? Are you, are you taking care of that, for example? That's, those are important things. The words we choose to use ar around young kids, for example. Are we using blasphemy? Are we... Uh, speaking inappropriately, these type of things are where your standards start and where you're going to get respect as a coach. We're going to talk about that likability is your best ability, but respect is even more important in this industry. So your standards for yourself are the most important thing. Code, especially with the girls. I won't allow short tops, any inappropriate things at, at practice. I want standard proper dress code, for example. Preparation, the warm-ups are done thoroughly. No cell phones during practice. Accountability. Bringing the right attitude and effort. No excuses, only solutions. The right work ethic. Helping others for the good of the team or the athletes. Commitment. Ability to accept feedback in a positive manner. And I'm not going to go, obviously, through what all these explanations are. Um, if you'd like, I'll have some books available afterwards where I explain this. Uh, but these are the things that each athlete and parent are given before we start. And this is not just exclu exclusive to me. This is something that you can do within your business, your company, your club, where I can promise you that you're going to make life way more easier for yourself. You're going to enjoy what you do more and not have to deal with uh, troublesome parents because the problem is not the parents. Anyone who's a parent here knows they want the best for their kid, right? And if you see something that's not getting done properly, you're going to speak up. And they feel exactly the same. It's called empathy. It's, it's called putting yourself in other people's shoes and, and understanding their side. That's the most important thing. That's something I've learned in co coaching more than anything is understanding what others are feeling and thinking. Why they're, they're reacting this way. Why they're angry. Why they feel their kid is not getting a better chance, for example. is because expectations and standards aren't explained well enough from day one. And that's what's going to improve the culture. Method. Your identity. I believe that... Are we off again? A little challenge here, okay. Method, your identity. If I was to now interview every single one of you for a player that, I'm wor that, that I have, and I need to find a coach, I'm going to find a full room here of experience, of um, some with uh, incredible knowledge, some that were, were great players, etc. But here's the thing I want to know. I want to know what your method is. I want to know what your system is. And if you can't tell me in 30 seconds clearly what your system or method is, what you stand for, then you're just another coach to me. Because after 10 years, 20 years, some of you may be coaching 40 years, if you don't know what your methodology is or your philosophy or your system, you're lost. 
You're just going along with what's coming up next. So if you don't have a method or a system, I suggest that you write one down. You start documenting one. Take a, a blank piece of paper, write down what you believe in. I believe in warming up this way. I believe in drill X and Y for developing the serve. I believe in the Vic Braden method. Whatever it may be, document and stand for something. Or otherwise, you'll fall for everything, especially in 2017 where the Internet is rife with junk, with circus. Look, look what's getting the most hits on YouTube these days. The funkiest videos with some guy that you've never heard of who says he worked with a player, but he probably hit with him for five minutes at a tournament once. Okay, all these people that are saying they've worked with professional players, but you ask the player who they are and they, they have no clue. Okay, don't fall for the Gatorade. Don't fall for the Kool-Aid, a saying that we have in the United States when you're just drinking everything and just believing it. Okay, check it out first of all. So, your identity. Second of all, your philosophy. Okay. Would you be able to explain to me how you develop a serve, how you develop a forehand? Uh, what, what techniques you use in your warming up, your cooling down, uh, what strategies you work on the mental side. Because as a coach, you're working in so many departments. Okay? You're preparing that athlete for a tournament. You're uh, consulting parents. Uh, you're even sometimes having to stretch them. So you've got to find and, and invest in different areas. Okay? You might not become an expert in any. I'm not an expert. I don't believe in the word expert because you're always learning. It's an ongoing mission. Lifelong learners are always learning. You're never an expert. I believe you've never arrived. Okay? Our third one, as we just said there, a lifelong learner. You're always evolving. So what I've done from, let's say, uh, year 2000 was that's when I first started documenting my method. However, if I look back at that method 15 years ago, 17 years ago, it's changed radically. Because the more I've learned, the more I've educated myself, the more I've, I've read, the more I've invested in myself, the more better ways I've found of doing something. So your method or your system or your philosophy is never set in stone. It's changing. There might be something you'll hear today where you'll go, you know what, that's a better idea. I'm going to do that now in, in, in what I do. So my method, my system, which I documented in my book, if I was to bring out a book in two years' time on the same thing, you'd probably see some changes. Because I've been at days like today listening to great coaches, networking with others where I've heard something and thought, that's a good idea. When you've got that, that attitude of, nope, this is what I do and this is how, how it is, uh, you're going you're gonna to struggle, especially in dealing with today's generation, the way we communicate, the way, way we interact, uh, social media, etc. Okay? You've got to evolve. You've got to be willing to change, embrace change, okay? because the world is changing. Our third one, adapt. A great coach adapts. Change is constant. Embrace it. I know the older you get, it gets more difficult to change and go along with, with how society is going. But if you don't change, you're going to get left behind. You've got to be able to change your views and, and be more open-minded. Stand for something or, you're, or you'll uh, fall for anything. But be willing to listen to others, no matter how young or old they are. I learn every day, even from coaches that have been in the business for six months. I learn. I open myself up to it. I take notes. I've got a page of notes written by Adam's, Adam's presentation there that I'll take and I'll use. We've got to drop that ego of, I've been in the game longer than you. I've coached longer than you. I know more than you. I'm not going to listen to you. I listen to everybody and take it in. 
because they have something to share. I might not believe in it. You know what the sign of maturity is to me? Is when you can respectfully disagree with somebody. That's a sign of maturity. Instead of having an opinion about them as a person because you didn't agree with their point. That was, that, was a fun, that, was a, that was an area where I came to in my life where I find I'm maturing because I can agree with you. I can disagree with you, but still respect you as a person. Because sometimes we let ego get in the way of that person that doesn't have the same views as us. So that's an important one. Understanding the generations. If I had to say in the last year, this is where I've been investing most of my, most of my time in. Understanding the generations that are coming. The millennials. The, uh, the nexters, which are the, the young ath- uh, uh, people that are, that are born from 2000 and onwards. Times have changed, people. The way we communicate, the way we uh, give feedback, what worked 20 years ago, 10 years ago, doesn't work now effectively. Okay? It's a Twitter generation. It's an Instagram generation. If you can't get your message across in 15 to 30 seconds effectively and clear, your message is lost. You become boring. You become blah, blah, blah after that. You've got to be able to get your message across clear and effective, very short. Coach Wooden, the the famous UCLA basketball coach, was able to do this already 40 years ago. Guy was way ahead of his time. Simple instructions. Okay? Okay? And this is what we've done. Coaches love to hear themselves talk. And, this is, and we've always got to feel we've got to be filling gaps when we're on the court. Talking, 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 talking. When in fact you don't. The great coaches are, are, are talking 20% of the time, watching and listening 80% of the time. And this is something where I find my career accelerated, working with different athletes in different sports, is where I shut up. And didn't try and feel important all the time of, of saying things, telling them, and listen more. Boris Becker, when he worked with Nick Boletari, the first two weeks, Nick said nothing. Boris, after two weeks, eventually blew his lid and said, Nick, are you not going to say anything? And Nick said, well, I'm glad you asked, Boris. And then gave him his feedback. We've got to know when, when players and athletes are ready to receive feedback. Because what we might want to say might not be the right time. Working with professional players, I'm at the moment with Kevin Anderson, and I've worked with Monica Puig and, and, and uh, Kuznetsova and so on. I learned that what you want to get across, you've got to wait. You can't just come in there and just say what's on your mind straight away. The same applies to the kids I work with of eight and nine years old. They might not be ready for that information just yet. So you've got to have that, that control of what you want to bring across. We are in the problem-solving business. Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker in the United States, said... He interviewing 500 of the most successful people that he's consulted, including presidents of the United States, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. What was the one common denominator of the most successful people? They're problem solvers. They can come up with, with, with solving a problem quickly and not contributing to the problem. Okay? We're in the problem solving business all the time. You're coming up with solutions. You're thinking of solutions all the time. That is what, that, that's what great coaches do. Number four, a great energy. Your personal energy. And what do I mean by your personal energy? Obviously, that, um, that spark or when you walk in the doors, you can feel an energy of someone where they're either lifting the room up or they're pulling the room down, for example. But here's what I mean speci- specifically about personal energy is taking care of yourself. It requires a lot of energy, just like an athlete, to perform well. 
Are we getting enough sleep? Are we getting enough rest? Are we getting enough? Are we eating properly? Are we hydrating enough, for example? Are we just letting the day get control of us? Okay? I still view myself as an athlete, not because I was one, but because I want to perform my best every day for my athletes. So I take care of myself. It requires discipline. Okay? When you have a deeper purpose, which is mine, to serve others and uplift others, my purpose is to stay disciplined. I have to stay disciplined. I'm no special to you. It's not that I was given some incredible gift that I'm just all of a sudden uh, disciplined and talented. It's my choice and my purpose that led me to be more disciplined and motivates me each day, each day I get up. So your personal energy, taking more care of yourself. That's where it starts. You can't give energy if you don't have energy. You can't be an effective coach if you're okay in the morning, but by the time you get to the afternoon, you're exhausted. Okay? Quality, you've got to be able to bring quality, the same quality at 5 p.m. in the afternoon as you do at 8 a.m. in the morning. Okay? And you'll see in one of my, uh, my daily schedule, I have routines throughout the day where I take time to take a nap. People go, you take time to take a nap? Yeah, I take time to take a nap. I still live like an athlete in a way. Uh, I make sure I hydrate at least every half an hour during the day. I, I've developed good habits. And this is not exclusive to me. This is for any of you. It's starting to make better habits throughout your day to give you more energy. Okay, some people ask me, how do you do it? You know, you fly 90 flights a year. You're in different time zones every week. You're working with different athletes. It seems like you always have energy because I take care of myself. And, I, and I'm going to sound selfish. I put myself number one because if I can't take care of myself, I can't take care of others effectively. You're all leaders, and the most important person you're leading is yourself. If you can't lead yourself, you can't lead others effectively. So your personal energy. We're in the motivation business. There's that word. You know, when I was listening to those questions, I was thinking, all right, this is all going to be coming up in our, our, our talk coming up. So I got excited. We're in the motivation business. You're there to motivate your players. Yes, we talk about self-motivation, but as coaches, that is what most of your clients and athletes come to you for, is your energy and the way you motivate them. Okay, I like, to, I like to compare a coach to a, a radio DJ. If you switch on the, on the radio in the morning and you listen to a DJ who sounds boring, who's had a bad, a bad day, who's had a fight with his wife or her husband the, the morning before, and they're like, hey, everybody, we're just going to play a song today, and uh, you know, we'll, the weather's terrible, but anyway, I'll speak to you later. You're going to switch over the channel, aren't you? You've got choice. The same for your clients. If you're not bringing motivation and energy to your, to your athletes and your players, they're going to change. And so they should. No matter how much you know or how smart you are or how many years experience you have, that counts for nothing. People want to be motivated. Become a great motivator. That doesn't mean you need to be shouting from the hilltop and, and going, oh, combaye and all these type of things. No. Just bring a positive attitude and a great energy. Have that purpose. Find that purpose. If there's only one thing you take from today, and that's what I've always said, when you go to a conference, if you only get one thing that moved you forward, that conference, that workshop has been worth it. If you read a book and you only got one thing from that book, that book has been worth it. You're not going to get everything from a book. You're not going to read 300 pages of my book and go, whoa, I got everything here. You might get one thing from that book and you go, you know what, that changed me. Or another book, for example, that, that, that helped me be a more healthier coach, that helped me motivate clients, that helped me find my purpose better. Okay? I've got to keep motivating myself, believe it or not. But my purpose pulls me, not pushes me, my purpose pulls me out of bed in the morning. Okay? Because I've, I've given myself a responsibility to inspire others, to help inspire themselves so they can inspire others.
fun. There's too much competitiveness and uh, focus on competition and ranking and getting the best kids. Come on. Probably 80% of the kids that play sport just want to have fun. Again, we let ego get in the way or parents getting in the way of wanting their kid to be the best, especially in the United States. Wanting their kid to go to college and, yes, for sure, you want to have, you want to have a good future for your kid. But ego gets in the way of, of wanting to have the best kid or competing. Okay? There's the expectation and enjoyment graph, which I don't have on this presentation. But when a kid starts, their expectation is low and their enjoyment level is high. That starts to change once they get a little bit better and they improve. Because when, ooh, this kid's pretty good. We're going to throw them into competition. You want to play tournaments? You wanna, you wanna, yeah, yeah. And what happens that changes is that their expectations get higher and the enjoyment gets lower. And that's where we start to lose kids in sport. Because we got in the way as parents and coaches of expectations of results because the kid hits a ball pretty well or kicks a ball pretty well. All right? Fun. Key. Kids want to have a fun coach. They don't want Mr. Serious. Like teachers, who were your most enjoyable teachers in school? Mine were the ones that were strict, but you could have sometimes some fun with them and you knew where the boundaries were. Same applies to coaching. You know, I've been out of school now for 25 years, and I only remember two or three teachers. They're the ones that were tough on me, the one that demanded from me, but they were also fair. They had that little side smile sometimes, and you knew that they cared for you. Those were the best teachers and, and, and coaches I had. Your interpersonal skills, this is a big one. Your social skills. My mentor, uh, been very blessed to have a mentor, Nick Boliteri, uh, living in, in Florida for, for a long time. Spending a lot of time on the court with him with players I've worked with. Uh, one being Xavier Melise, who, who I spent a lot of time with and was at the academy since he was 14. But here's the thing as coaches, you can't have everything. You can't be everything to everybody. Okay, I've always said focus in, in your strengths. Focus in the area where you have strengths. Um, two years ago, I consulted a coach in Australia just after the Australian Open Conference where uh, Simon gave a, a brilliant uh, presentation. Simon, commence. And uh, we sat down. She said, could I have 30 minutes of your time? I said, sure. Come, come by the hotel. We'll grab a coffee. And she said, I've been coaching for 30 years. And I can no longer find the motivation and the passion. She says, I don't understand why, because I love it. But I've just lately just been feeling just so drained and so demotivated. And I said, okay, well, write down on one side of, of the paper the things you love about coaching. And write down on the other side of the paper the things you don't like about coaching. And this is a good exercise for all of us. Okay? Where you start to identify the areas where you're good at and the areas you don't enjoy. And what we found that when she wrote these things down is that she was simply working in the wrong age group. She didn't enjoy the competitiveness of the tennis. She didn't enjoy the weekends with, with, with parents at tournaments being pushy, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, what do you love doing? She said, I love working with kids. Well, I said, then you become the best under 10 coach there is in your, your region. It might be tough at first to start and having to give up some, some athletes, but you become zoned into that area. Because here's the thing. There's a difference in coaching and teaching. When you're developing a child in a sport, you're teaching. You're not coaching. Coaching is more like leadership management. 
coaching is when you're working with a player that already knows how to play and you're basically just structuring their lifestyle and managing their moods and managing their, their, their practices, for example. When I'm working with a kid of 12, 11, I'm teaching. When I'm working with uh, a player on the road, uh, a professional player, for example, I'm coaching. Not necessarily coaching the game, but because they already know how to play, but you're just giving those one or two little, little adjustments. But the structure of their day, their planning, their energy management, that's, that's the difference. So we're actually, you know, who said it? Was it uh, I think it was Coach Wooden as well. We're coaching is teaching and teaching is coaching. Okay. So interpersonal skills, communication is huge. How we communicate, the right timing of communication. Uh, Giving criticism. We're very good as coaches to give criticism and feedback, but we're not receptive to receiving it. Okay? Everybody's good asking for feedback until you get it, right? And it's like, well, no, that's not me. I, I, defense, defense, defense. It's one of the toughest things to do is ask for feedback. I still do it today where I'll have somebody that I trust uh, come and watch one of my sessions and listen in and then give me feedback afterwards. Well, you know, on one of your sessions, you didn't include the two kids that were behind you. Have all the kids in front of you when you speak. Be clearly, make eye contact with each one, for example. Those are important things. Including the quietest kids in the group for their, their feedback. You know, if you have 10 kids in front of you, usually the ones that have the most to say don't say it because they may be shy, for example. Include those. That's important. But maybe that's an area you need to improve on is your communication skills, how you communicate. Always give a positive before you give criticism. Example, I love the way you're moving on the court today, Jill. However, I'd like to see you step in more into the court. And they were more receptive to that. Instead of just saying, step in, don't do that. There's another word try not to use, don't. Okay, it's a very negative cue is don't. Try use, for example, try this or I'd like to see you do that. Instead of don't do this. Okay, can that, that can put up a, a bit of a barrier, for example. Okay. Athletes want to know you care for them. Okay. The saying goes, uh, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And how many times, I, if I can ask you this, how many times have you been asked by a parent or a player what your qualifications are, what your, your, uh, your levels are? Hardly, right? I don't get asked. They want to know you care as a person first. And this is something I spend a lot of time on before I give any direction, is I connect before I direct. Is I connect with the athlete that I build up a repertoire, I build up a relationship, I build up a trust before I can now give them information. If I go in and work with an athlete, uh, for example, on Saturday I'll go to Paris and work with a player at a challenger, for example. I'm not going to go there on Saturday and, and just start giving directions of what they should be doing. I'll see the things that need to be told, but I need to build up a relationship and a trust factor first. Like Nick did with Boris, waited for the player to be ready to give the feedback. Coaches, don't jump in and try and be the fix-its, trying to fix everything. This is another reason why a lot of coaches don't last on the professional tour because they get, they get the job and they try and fix the athlete in the first week. You know what happens when you try and change things, especially with a high-skilled player? Their first bad result, you're on the first flight out of there. That's why there's such a chop and change in that industry of coaches. It's because coaches try and fix things instead of build up a relationship first. Players want to know you, want to know you care. That's important. 
and then connect, find commonalities. Before I worked with Bernard Tomic, I would go and find the things that he enjoyed doing. They might not be the things I enjoy doing. He likes cars. He likes music. So I would find some commonalities and find some things out about, about that. For example, if I'm, I'm going to go speak in, in Russia or speak in Denmark, for example, I want to know your culture. I want to find commonalities with you. I like Lucas Graham. I'm, uh, seven, what's the... the, the oh, I'm going to sing. God, that's bad. Uh, Barna Reese, the cyclist. Michael Lodrup, all these, these famous people in, in Denmark that I remember, commonalities of the clubs they played for and, and athletes. So you have a connection straight away. We have something exciting to talk about. That's how you connect with people, not just about tennis. The world champion in squash, Rami Ashur, an Egyptian, I worked, went, helped him before world championships two years ago. Didn't know him. Flew up to New York to spend a week with him. What did I do? I spent two days researching him. Thank goodness for internet. We couldn't do that 20 years ago. But researching what he likes, what music he likes, what food he likes, where, where he likes to visit. So I already had commonalities when we sat down and spoke about things. And bam, there's a connection straight away. Okay? Common interests. Not just about tennis. Not just about the thing that, that, that you've been asked to do to coach. How are we doing for time, uh, Simon? 25. Okay, we're going good. Usually this presentation is three hours, so I'm pretty much shooting through it. And there's nice, exciting pictures in between as well, but we've had to take those out. So that's an exciting picture, right? Anybody ever seen that picture of that shark that steps on the piece of Lego? Forget it. All right. I'll show it to you sometime. All right. Fundamentals. Good old boring fundamentals. Anybody recognize the golf coach? He's the Nick Boletario of golf, if I can put it that way. Anybody? David Ledbetter. Does that ring a bell to anybody now? David Ledbetter? Worked with, with, still works with some of the best players in the world. Has worked with Faldo. Has worked with Tiger. Has worked with Michelle Wee. Uh, I think he's even worked with uh, Jesper Parnevik, our Swedish contingent. But a key coach of fundamentals, just like Nick, Nick Boletari is. Okay? I worked with uh, Jessica Corda, name ring a bell, Corda, uh, Father Peter. I worked with Jessica uh, a little bit, well, actually for a year on the LPGA tour, and she would go to David sometimes for lessons, and I would sometimes sit in and just watch the lessons, and it was just the basics, nothing fancy, grip, stance, head position, there was nothing fancy about it, it was just fundamentals over and over and over and over. And let me tell you, of, me, of having the, the privilege to spend a lot of time with a lot of coaches in my 25 years, especially in the last 10 years in different sports, it's always the fundamental coaches that are the key performers, not the ones with the latest fads and what's going on and try this swing thing with a weight flying out of the corner, etc. It's just the key fundamental coaches that are the most successful. But let me tell you why it's very difficult to be a fundamental coach because of distraction. We're just loaded with distraction on the YouTube and the internet and all the stuff that comes out of what's the latest. Instead of looking at what's the latest, look for what's lasted the longest. That's probably a better, better approach when it comes to fundamentals. So the fundamentals are the foundation of our sport. Anybody who's keen on NBA, I'm a sport fundy, by the way. We could talk all day about every sport, uh, even curling. Which, uh, which uh, have you heard the expression about uh, helicopter parents? 
Anybody know what helicopter parents are? Parents are like helicopters, always over the kid, for example. But I believe there's also an expression called curling parents, right? The ones that are always sweeping the, the, the front of the, of the, what do you call it? The stones? Do they call it the stone? The parents are sweeping in front of the stone. Curling parent. I, I like that one. But um, the, f- the foundations are the key uh, success areas of where, where sport is at. Steve Kerr, who's the coach of the NBA Warriors, who just won the NBA championship last week. Do you know what his favorite book is? Vic Braden's 1972 tennis coaching book. He says he still reads it. He says he's learned more from that book than any basketball book. Vic Braden's, Vic Braden just passed away, I think, last year or two years ago, unfortunately. But pioneers of our sports. I encourage you to go back to the fundamentals. Stop looking for the latest and, st- and start looking for what's lasted. Okay? It's mundane but effective. And this is why a lot of, especially younger coaches, this is not a dig at the younger coaches. There's temptation everywhere. But why a lot of the younger coaches have difficulty focusing in and zooming in on one thing because we have so many options. Okay? When you're speaking to a next generation today, a kid of 16, he's got his phone in front of him, he's having a conversation with three people, and he's doing something else. They're multitasking all the time. Okay? So, and they need quick information. Twitter, Instagram are our most popular uh, sources of information because it's quick. Information quick. They want to have information, information quick, 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 quick. Essays, lectures, they aren't going to work with, with today's generation. So throw that out. All right? But they have difficulty in spending time in the mundane, the boring, the fundamentals of being boring, of sticking to them and learning them. Coach Wooden said, Learn the fundamentals, embrace the fundamentals, apply the fundamentals, stick to the fundamentals. Okay? And that still stays today with whatever you teach, be it music, painting, art, sport, whatever it may be. The fundamentals are the key things. Great coaches embrace them. And like I said, the best coaches I've worked with in different sports are all fundamental coaches, not fancy coaches. They understand that. So I encourage you today to look back in the archives of the pioneers of the sports that you work with. It doesn't even have to be in tennis, but in other sports as well, and, uh, and, and embrace those. Okay? Stop this web of confusion of so much choice and so much distraction and uh, what the latest drill is on, on, on Facebook today, for example, and stick to what you know. Build your method. Make it simple. One of the best things that ever happened to me in my life was uh, I tripped down the steps running for a train in Amsterdam once, and I I dropped my laptop, and it was the days before iCloud, and I lost uh, over a thousand videos of of exercise videos I'd built up over a period of eight years. I lost it. I cried like a baby for two days. Can you imagine losing a thousand videos that you've built up over eight years of work? But you want to know something? It was the best thing that ever happened to me because I was, I was a coach that was confused with so much choice. I didn't know what, I would, I'd be trying to plan a lesson. It would take me an hour and a half to plan a lesson because I'd have, maybe I should use this exercise. Maybe I should use that one. Maybe we should do this draw. And you know what I did from that day on? I said, get the best five or six things for developing that. Get the best five or six things for warming up that and stick to those. And if you find something better, replace. Don't add. Let me tell you, this is going to make your coaching a lot more easier than, than this confusion of so much going on. Simplify, simplify, simplify. Okay? Number seven, which is my favorite. 
and this is what you're doing today. Investing in yourself. There is no better. Warren Buffett, the business mogul in the United States, is one of the big investors. He said, there's no better investment you can make than in yourself. Richard Branson said it as well. There's no better investment that you can make in, than in your health. Because if you don't have health, you don't have happiness or wealth. How much are you investing in your health? Are you taking care of yourselves? It gets back to point number four, energy. You can't give energy if you don't have energy. Taking care of yourself, eating a little bit better, exercising 20 minutes a day, for example. No matter what my day is like, I always make sure that I get 20 minutes of exercise a day. Sometimes I'll have more time. When, no matter what my day is like, I will always have time for 20 minutes of reading. No matter what my day is like, I will always have 20 minutes for thoughtfulness. What is thoughtfulness? Thinking about others. Where I'll purposely sit in the morning and I'll sit with my phone sending text messages to people that are maybe having illness, difficulty, uh, family, people that are playing tournaments, whatever it may be. Thoughtfulness. Okay? This is another way to build up your, your network and build up a, a, a bigger... Is pe people want to know you care. Not just about yourself, but you care about others. And my other 20 minutes is I have a 20-minute nap, as I explained, in the middle of the day. I plan my day around energy, not around people or work. And this is what I found has become more effective for me. I work less, but I earn more because my quality and my standards are higher. Okay, so instead of working 10 hours a day, I work 6 hours a day. I work 3 hours in the morning, 3 hours in the afternoon. That doesn't mean I do nothing in the other time. I do a lot of Skype consultations. I'll do a lot of, uh, I do a lot of preparation, for example. But quality, I give quality and I'm able to, to, to charge more. Okay, and then just still working myself uh, to the bone, for example. Okay. So investing in yourself. Are you investing in yourself? Are you investing in your health? Are you investing in your, uh, your education? Okay. If you, were to just if you were to choose one thing and spend 20 minutes a day on it, let's say you wanted to, find, you wanted to learn a language or you wanted to uh, become better at um, uh, whatever it may be, drawing. You spend 20 minutes a day. At the end of the year, that's going to add up to more than 100 hours that have you, you've accumulated of, of just 20 minutes a day. Is that going to make a difference? You bet it's going to make a difference. It's what I've always said to athletes is find that one thing you need to get better in and spend 20 minutes a day on it, be it being more flexible, a stronger core, working on your serve, whatever it may be. That's going to make a huge difference at the end of the year. We talk about the 1%, for example, the accumulation of marginal gains, all these little things that add up over time. In my, my next book coming out in August called Champion Minded, I talk about the bits and pieces of just doing a little bit every day, of just a little bit here, a little bit there, building them into routines, which grows to massive success later. We're in a society of instant gratification right now. We want things now. We want success now. We want to have uh, great players. We want to have more players. It doesn't happen. You're setting yourself up for failure. Set yourself up for a long-term plan. When I sit down with coaches, clients, even business people, I say, think like an Olympian. Where do you want to be in four years' time? What do you want to be in three years' time? What do you have to be in one year' time? Okay, build that, build that structure. Investing in your career, which you're doing today. I, I make sure I attend four conferences a year myself. I, I'm very lucky that I get to attend conferences that I speak to, at, at obviously, which I learn. Um, but I make sure those are two non-sport-related 
So for example, maybe I need to improve my presenting skills. Maybe I need to improve my communication skills. I will go to two separate uh, uh, conferences. And then I'll attend two other conferences that are not my sport related. So for example, I'll go to a basketball conference. I'll go to a rugby conference. I'll go to and feel awkward and not, not know half the terminology that's going out, but learn, learn, learn. My success, I feel, in coaching has come from looking outside my circle and not just being a horse with blinkers on just tennis or just whatever that one sport is. I encourage you, maybe your goal is one. Go to another sport conference, another sport you enjoy watching or interested in, and you are going to open up your world of learning more. Okay, I encourage that. Are you investing in the right places? Where do you feel you need to improve? Do you need more tennis knowledge? Do you need more skills? Do you need more drills? Okay, it's good to learn and keep learning, but maybe you need to improve in other areas. On structuring your day better or getting more productivity from yourself or, or uh, like I said, communication skills, which is the key. Communication is the key to relationships. Anyone who's married here will agree with me. Okay, communication is the key in business. Communication is the key in coaching. Clear communication, effective com communication, consistent communication. Another big area, if we get back to parents, is they don't get consistent communication enough. That's what frustrates parents. They don't know what's going on. And that's where we as coaches need to improve. It's not the parents that are the problem, always. We need to stand up and be better communicators and, and set the standards and ex expectations better and remind them. Okay, and not be afraid of hurting somebody's feelings because we have those standards. Okay, excellence is not for everybody. That's something you're going to learn. When you have high standards, excellence is not for everybody. So don't feel offended there. So quick summary of what the seven keys to being a great coach are. If you maybe missed any of those. Set your standards. Build your method. Adapt to those you work with and adapt to the, the generation and the environment you work with. Bring a great energy. Take care of your own health. That's the first important thing. I would start there if you're wondering where you want to start changing things in your life. Start with your health. Even if it's 20 minutes a day. That's all. Okay? Interpersonal skills. Improve your communication with others. Don't just network. Don't just hand out business cards. Follow it up. I've got 50 business cards where you never hear from the person again. You know, that, that's, that, that's not effective communication. Network, follow up, show them you care. Send a message tomorrow and saying it was great meeting you yesterday at the conference or, or on Saturday, whenever it may be. Or I really loved talking to you about X and Y, whatever it was. The fundamentals, especially younger coaches, embrace the fundamentals. Stop looking for fancy, okay? And invest in yourself. There's no better investment you can make in yourself. How are we doing for time? Ten, excellent. We're going to have time for questions as well. Embe embrace change or get left behind. I think that's probably one of the most important messages I can say, say today is embrace change. Don't fear change. If you keep doing the same things, you're going to get the same results. That's a fact of life. So if you don't change, nothing is going to change. And you've got to be able to take that step forward. Expect to fail. Expect to make mistakes. Expect to look, stup look stupid. That is how you change. Adopt a growth mindset. Okay? Step into the unknown. It's you're never too old to have a new dream, a new goal, a new ambition, a new career, whatever it may be. You're not stuck. If you're not enjoying what you're doing right now, you're not stuck. 
You just have to open up the, the uh, open up your mind and embrace change. Okay. Discover your passion. Okay. But passion is not enough. You need to find your purpose. And I think it just worked out perfectly, Adam, with the questions we had after your, your talk today. It was almost like it was just scripted. Sending great energy out there and it just happened. But discover your passion. What do you love to do? If you, didn't, if, you, if you didn't get paid for something, but you had to go and work tomorrow, what would you do? Would it be coaching? I know I've found my passion. My passion is people, and I love sport. Put the two together, I'm coaching. I'm leading. Love what I do, and I mean that. But I still have to motivate myself because I still have to find purpose. My purpose two years ago is maybe not the same purpose I have this year. For example, evolving, evolving, evolving. Build your plan, okay? Because without a plan, it's going to be hard to find your purpose. What's your plan? Is it changing something? Is it moving jobs? Is it maybe you, you have to take another course that's going to help you get into that, that era? And aim to make daily progress, even if it's one baby step a day. Stop aiming for perfection. Stop fearing change. Stop worrying about what other people think. That's not going to get you anywhere. You're going to be criticized anyway, no matter what you do. In fact, rather be criticized than not be criticized because it means you're, you're doing something with your life. Okay? But aim to make daily progress every day, even if it is a baby step where you sometimes think to yourself, oh, I'm just not getting ahead. Yes, you are. Have faith in that. Okay? And lastly, leave a legacy. What legacy do you want to leave? What do you want to be remembered for? Just another coach that, that dished out the X's and Y's, that was busy with rankings, tournaments, funding, whatever it may be? Or do you want to leave a legacy that you taught life skills? You impacted futures. You changed young, young adults to, to being responsible adults, successful marriages, businesses, whatever it may be. That is the impact you have. Is that the legacy you want to leave? Or you just want to be known as, as a tennis coach that had good players?